looking at the life and ministry of Jesus, as we look at the various uh, miracles and healings that he performed, we love to see those because we love to see his power. And um, it encourages us because when we have difficulties in our lives, we uh, want to know that that power is accessible to us. However, when it comes to his teachings, sometimes we have a tendency to breeze over them or to ignore them or to uh, not appreciate them. And so Jesus is going to be teaching his disciples uh, some things. And, and this particular parable that he's going to teach them, I consider shocking. And I'll tell you why in a moment, because I'm going to start off with just before he starts the parable in uh, Luke chapter 12, starting with verse 35, he says, be dressed in readiness and keep your lamps lit. So he's talking to the disciples and um, Peter later is going to ask him a question about how specific or general that conversation is. But I want to say, since he's discussing it, I want us to catch what he's saying. He says, be dressed in readiness and keep your lamps lit. Well, how is it that we are dressed in readiness? Well, the scriptures tell us that our righteousness is as filthy rags. So in essence, we are not ready if we are in our own righteousness. We are not ready. And so Jesus is saying by taking upon ourselves his righteousness, we are dressed. And then he says, and to keep your lamps lit. Well, what's the lamp? Well, the scriptures also tell us that the word of God is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And so knowing the word of God and keeping that close and not in the sense of we just carry the Bible around with us, but that we see it. And the scriptures tell us that Jesus is the word. And so both a sense of dress because of his righteousness and being in him, the word makes us ready. And so what I want us to, to first off catch is that he's talking, be ready. Now, it's been almost 2,000 years since he left the earth. And there are those who say, well, he's never going to come or he's going to come this way or that way. And we have a tendency to get complacent because... He hasn't shown up yet. Well, there's a particular reason why he hasn't shown up yet. And uh, that's God's business and not ours. He didn't say, well, be ready when you see the times. He said, be dressed in readiness and keep your lamps lit. And then he's going to give a parable for that. But I want to give my own parable first to show you how shocking this parable is. Or you see, in human existence, if I were to tell this parable, this is how I would say it. There was a master who had a number of slaves, and he went to a party. It was a wedding feast. And because it's at a party, a wedding, his servants who were at home, his slaves, didn't know when he was coming home. Some of us like to stay at the wedding feast for a long time, and some people like to leave as soon as possible. And it may very well by how much fun you're having at the wedding or how little fun you're having at the wedding or how much it's costing you or whatever. Now, in Jewish wedding feasts, it wasn't like, well, the wedding's in the afternoon and then there's a banquet 
and everybody dances and then goes home about midnight. If you'll remember the wedding in Cana, it took a few days to celebrate and they ran out of wine. And so, in essence, the slaves are not sure exactly when the master's coming home. And so, our context, when the master does arrive home and knocks on the door and the slaves are dressed in readiness, they answer the door and you know what the master would do is say, okay, um, Wash my feet because I've just been at the party and I've just walked whatever and lay out my bedclothes and set up the bed and get ready. And since you were ready, uh, you did a good job. So you get the rest of the night off and make sure breakfast is ready at 6 a.m. And he goes to bed. That's how the world works. I want to show you what Jesus' parable says. Be like men. Or waiting for their masters, and when he returns from the wedding feast, so that they may immediately open the door to him when he comes and knocks. And blessed are those slaves whom the master finds on the alert when he comes. Truly, I say to you, now that this is where the, up until this point, our two parables, if you will, are similar. But notice the shocking difference. Blessed are those slaves whom the master finds on the alert when he comes. Truly, it's on the test. Truly, I say to you that he will gird himself to serve and have them recline at the table and will come up and wait on them. The master of the house, of the slaves, not the servants, not the family, the slaves, the master is going to serve them immediately. Jesus is saying, he, as the son of God, as the master, when you simply are ready and open the door, when he knocks, he's going to serve you. Now, this is kind of typified, if you will, at the Last Supper, when Jesus washes his disciples' feet. And Peter, and in essence, the way I would, with, if you will, false humility, say, no, no, Lord, don't wash my feet. Don't serve me because you're master. I'm the one who's supposed to serve you. But God is who God is. And Jesus says, what I do now, you don't quite understand, but you wash one another's feet. So if the master is saying, I'm going to wait on the fellow, on the slaves, then who are we not also to wait on the slaves? And also, Psalms 23 tells us, youth being God, have set a table before me in the presence of mine. Again, God is host. So we see throughout the scriptures that God is host being the servant of his people, which to me is shocking. Because if anything, we should be the one who consistently serves him. And yet he loves us so much. And notice this isn't, this is grading on a curve. He didn't say, well, not only did they open the door immediately, they had all the food out, they had warm water. No, no, they just opened the door when he knocked. They were ready. That was it. All too often, we try to make serving God so complicated. And yet he says, be ready. By being ready and opening the door so I don't have to wait. I'll serve you. 
Whether he comes in the second watch or even the third and find them so, blessed are those slaves. You want to be blessed? Be ready. How are you ready? To be clothed in his righteousness and knowing the word of God. But be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have allowed his house to be broken into. Make sense? You know that at three in the morning, there's going to be a thief who's going to come and try to rob your house. You'll either make sure all the doors and windows are locked or have the cops there if they'll show up, whatever may happen, but you're prepared. But if you don't know when the, the thief is coming, you know, and so he says, you too, be ready. For the Son of Man is coming in an hour that you do not expect. Now, the scriptures will further talk about Jesus coming as a thief in the night. Jesus only comes as a thief in the night for those who aren't ready. Because we know that our master is coming. We're just not ready, sure when that is, but we'll be ready whenever it is. Peter said, Lord, are you addressing this parable to us or to everyone else as well? Spoiler alert. The answer is yes. So he says this, and the Lord said, and then, and who then is the faithful and sensible steward whom his master will put in charge of his servants and give them their rations at the proper time. So Jesus said, okay, we've been talking about slaves and we're talking, now we're talking about the guy who's in charge of the household, the steward. So who is this sensible steward that will be giving the household goods to the servants? Blessed is that slave. Notice he's a steward, but he's still a slave. Under whom his master finds so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will put him in charge of all his possessions. Now that's an amazing statement as well. Because God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. This world is ours. This, his possessions are vast. And again, what's the qualification? That you are faithful in what you have been put in charge of. Simply making sure that your fellow slaves are taken care of. But if that slave says in his heart, my master will be a long time in coming and begins to beat the slaves, both men and women, and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him. And at that an hour, he does not know. He's saying, this reprobate slave is like one who doesn't know what hour the thief comes. He comes unexpectedly. And it's not going to go well for this guy. And that slave who knew his master's will and did not get ready or act in accordance with his will will receive many lashes 
I'm sorry, I missed something. And then they're not expecting it. But uh, and will cut him in pieces and will assign him in the place with the unbelieving. So the slave, the steward, who does not act in accordance with what the master wants and abuses the slaves, will be treated as if he were never a part of the household. He will be cut into pieces and assigned a place with the unbelievers. But he says, and that slave who knew his master's will and did not get ready or act in accord with his will will receive many lashes. So this is the first person abused the authority God gave him. This person knew what God's will was, but didn't follow it. And that says he will receive many lashes. He's not assigned a place with the unbelievers. And then there's a third person. But the one who did not know it and committed deeds worthy of a flogging will receive but few. So for those who are ignorant of God's will, they will still receive some punishment. But the more you know and don't follow, the more God will hold you responsible. From everyone who has been given much, much will be required. And to whom they entrusted much of him, they will ask all the more. So often, we always want bigger ministries and more power and, and more uh, fame and more ability to teach and all these things. And God's saying, if you get it, you're going to be more and more responsible for what you've been given. But we don't like that. We want the authority, but not the responsibility and not the accountability. Because since we could all say, well, I've been saved by grace through faith. Therefore, God will forgive all that I done." If you know God's will and you don't do it, there will be accountability. And then Jesus is going to say something that just, again, defies what we come to know about Jesus. I have come to cast fire upon the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. Wait, wait a minute. This is a Jesus who's Melba Milktoast, who just loves everybody and just doesn't care, and you can just do whatever you want, and it's okay. And, and Jesus is saying, this world is going to burn, and I wish it were now. That's not the kind, gentle, meek Jesus we think we know. But I have a baptism to undergo, and how distressed I am until it is accomplished. Jesus knows the order that his father has set out. For God so loved the world that he sent Jesus, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. To get that benefit for us, he must undergo that cup of judgment. And Jesus' ministry through the three and a half years or so of his earthly ministry, he's fully aware that that is how it will end. Which makes him kind of like you and me, if you will. If you know something's going to happen, you tend to kind of focus on it. 
and it bothers you, and you, I just wish it were over. I just, just get it over. And Jesus is saying, get it over. I'm, I'm ready. Do you suppose that I came to grant peace on the earth? Well, most people would say, yeah. Jesus is this mild, permissive guy. I tell you, no, but rather divisions. Or from now on, five members in one household will be divided against two, against three, and two against three. And they will be divided father against son and son against father. Another against daughter and daughter against mother. Mother Mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. This is a division that happens within families. And frequently, people who become believers will find themselves ostracized within their family. Now notice it says that there will be division, which can't help. When you believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that he died for your sins and was raised again on the third day, that is just not something insignificant. It is infinitely important. Division doesn't necessarily mean and have to mean from our perspective, conflict. They may reject us or our faith in him, but we are still to love them regardless. We may not approve of their actions. We don't condemn them. We may disagree with their actions. The division here frequently will happen not because from us, but from those who just don't like who Jesus is. I find it interesting we have in our online ministries, we are out on Facebook and Twitter and YouTube and all other times and Periscope and various times of social ministries. And it is interesting, you will find some people who say, well, we want, to frame, we want to friend you, or there may be those who say, I like what you did, or they may even say, I'm going to uh, share it with somebody so that they might participate. I'm always, I'm not surprised, but I am surprised in the sense of the level of, it seems, hatred that some people have when they see what we're doing because nothing we have said talked about hate, talked about, and yet there's this vitriol, and they use language that probably is inappropriate person to person, let alone online. But that's what's happened. Now, I pray for those people, and I hope that they come to know the Lord. But there's division. They don't like us. That's okay. They didn't like Jesus either. And we are not above our master. Therefore, what did he do? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Our attitude should all. So when division comes, we should handle it in such a way as Jesus did. 
You rebuke those who are hypocrites, and you love those who don't know better. And he was also saying to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, immediately you say, a shower is coming, and it turns out. And when you see a south wind blowing, you say, it will be a hot day, and it turns out that way. Now I'm going to stop there. That is similar to Southern California. You don't have to be a weatherologist to figure out what's going to happen. All they need to do is show you a map of Southern California. And if they put a high-pressure zone somewhere, you know it's going to be hot. You know you're going to get Santa Ana winds. If they show a low-pressure system somewhere, you know there's going to be an onshore flow, and it's going to be a cooler day, a little more humid or whatever. But you figure it out. You don't even need the weather person. You just need the map. We have the same situation here. He's saying, if you can figure out the weather and what kind of day it's going to be, he says this, you hypocrites, you know how to analyze the appearance of the earth and the sky, but why do you not analyze this present time? So I ask of you and I ask of me, What's more important to know? What tomorrow will be in the sense of the weather or what Jesus is doing? Maybe we should figure out what Jesus is doing because that's an eternal situation. Whereas no matter how hot or cold it will be tomorrow, it will change the following day. And the following day, uh, I had... My wife had some relatives in, in Texas, and we were there. And he says, we have a common phrase in Texas. If you don't like the weather, wait five minutes. It'll change. Well, in essence, he's saying, you hypocrites, you're aware, aware, well aware of the weather, which will last five minutes. But what about the eternal perspective? And then he's going to give us some advice. He says this in verse 57. I'm sorry, 54. And why do you not even on your own initiative judge what is right? He's saying, I shouldn't have to tell you what's right. You should on your own initiative, on your own thoughts, do what's right. For while you are going with your opponent to appear before the magistrate, on your way there make an effort to settle with him so that he may not drag you before the judge. And the judge turn you over to the officers, and the officer throw you into prison. I say to you, you will not get out of there until you have paid the very last cent. He's saying, look it, from an earthly perspective, if you owe somebody some money, and he's taking you to court, you ought to be wise. Now, I have represented people who have owed some money. And I have started to represent some people who owe some money. And some of their kind of questions are, well, I may owe a whole lot of money. What if I just give them a little bit? And I go, that's not going to settle the case. Well, they say, well, that's okay, because when there's a judgment, then I can just pay a little bit of money. I go, no, once there's a judgment, you lose any input. They can enforce that judgment then and there. And Jesus is saying, here's some common sense. 
If you owe a lot of money, it's better to settle it before the judge orders what you are, because in their system, you don't just get a judgment, you get sent to prison. And the minimum wage in prison isn't going to get you enough money to pay off the debt, which means you're going to be there forever. Now, this advice isn't just for legal issues. For you see, we all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We have become indebted because of our sin. The wages of sin is death. We owe an amount that can never be repaid on our own. So Jesus is saying, here, I'll tell you what to do. Talk to God. Settle with God before the judgment day, because when the judgment day comes and you haven't resolved it, you're going not to prison, you're going to hell. So settle it. So here's some advice. I know an excellent lawyer. His name is Jesus. He has never lost a case and never defended an innocent person. Hire Jesus to negotiate with God. And I'll tell you what Jesus will do. He won't even say, okay, well, do you got five bucks? Well, no, he says, put it on my tab. I paid for that sin. When I suffered and hung on the cross, and died, I paid for that sin. It is covered. He owes nothing. So, Jesus gives some very good advice for those of us in life and for those of us with eternal life. Know what the situation is. And here's the deal. He has already told us no one knows when he's coming. So it could be in the next 30 seconds, or it can be in the next 2,000 years. But I know this, if he waits 2,000 years, you're still going to meet him. It's called death. And you will be rendering an account. So you may not know when the master comes, but for sure, you're going to meet the master. So therefore, now is the acceptable time. Now is the time to say to God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I cannot pay it all. But I know Jesus paid it all for me. I know that he is holy and I am not. And I am going to take his righteousness and clothe myself. I will understand his word and let that lead me and guide me because I know who he is. And because of that, I am ready, whatever the case may be. And so, instead of being fearful of when he might come, or hoping that he might delay, that we might say, even so, Lord, come quickly. And all God's people said,